Father, thank you for your love and we pray that you'll bless our time together. Help us, stimulate us in our prayers. Help us to know why this is a must for our lives and that without it, uh, we, we're just going to be lost. Uh, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the Proverbs say rightly that pride comes before what? The fall. Before you fall flat on your face, that is. Uh, very t closely tied up with pride is overconfidence. Uh, they're kind of two sides of the same kind. I don't know if you can think of people who've been overconfident. Maybe you've been overconfident in a certain situation and fallen flat on your face. Uh, during the week, uh, the family and I, were, we were catching up on The Voice. Anyone like The Voice other than The Wilchies? Uh, singing competition on TV, if you've not seen it. Uh, the interesting twist to it is that uh, the people come out to audition on the stage, but the judges are all in giant chairs facing the wrong way, so they can't see the performer. All they've got to go on is what they hear them sing, and until they impress the judge by their singing, uh, well, when they impress the judge by the singing, they hit a buzzer and their chair turns around and they're able to go on in the competition. Uh, and if no chairs turn, you're gone. Uh, they always interview the contestants before they go out to sing, and just about all of them are nervous as anything. Oh, I don't know, and I don't think this is going to work, but I don't know. We, you know, I've wanted to make a career out of this, or, you know, I was singing on my farm, and, and I thought I'd have a go. Uh, there was this one guy interviewed in one of the back episodes we were catching up on through the week who said, all four chairs are turning tonight for me. Uh, he was at a massive ego, thought he was God's gift to the ears of the world. And Amelia, what happened? No one turned, right? Uh, the judges did not agree with him. And when they tried to offer him some encouragement and advice afterwards, he told the four expert judges they were all wrong. Uh, <laughs> huge ego, totally overconfident in himself, fell flat on his face. Now, for him, the worst thing that happened was that he looked like a goose in front of millions of people on TV. But there are times when overconfidence can be deadly. Uh, one of the famous battles of history was the Battle of Cressy in 1346. Anyone remember that one? Dave, were you there? No, <laughs> no. Uh, thousands of veteran French knights in full plate armour. You can, you know, imagine the guys with lances on war horses. They took on 500 English archers. Now, archers had never, ever been effective against uh, plated knights because it just goes beep, 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 beep. They could just never punch through the armour. And so these knights just saw them at the end of the valley and thought, let's go get them, boys. And so they just rode straight down the valley. They hadn't counted on the English having developed the English longbow with a 70-kilo draw weight that could punch right through plate armour and they massacred the knights. Uh, it was the end of knights charging. Uh, then they, they were gone. Overconfidence led to their downfall. And I raise that because last week we heard in Ephesians 6 that God has given us impregnable armour to stand in the spiritual battle that we're in against a mighty foe, Satan, with his generals all arrayed against us. But having heard that we have this impregnable armour, we might be tempted to get a bit cocky, a bit overconfident in ourselves, in our strength. 
And I think especially so, given all that we've seen over these last few months from this incredible letter that we've been studying of Ephesians, it's brimming with all sorts of encouragements to us. In chapter 1, remember, we've received every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms as Christians. We've been adopted as God's children. We've been redeemed. We were predestined before the foundation of the world God chose us. We've been uh, washed clean. We've, we get to know God's plans because he's revealed them to us. We, we have the Holy Spirit within us as a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. In chapter 2, we, we're told that we were once dead in our sins and transgressions. Well, we were gone as we were like cut flowers, you remember. Cut off and just fading to nothing. Or like headless chickens running around. But in Christ, we've been grafted back in we're using the flower image or the chicken image i guess we've had our heads screwed back on and uh, everything working again uh, but we've been made alive by the power of the resurrected christ how good's that we're objects of god's eternal grace his love we're loved by him in chapter three we heard as we're drawn together as the church we are god's testimony to his immense wisdom and who's he testifying to the defeated powers and dominions that are out there the spiritual realm he's conquered them by the cross and he demonstrates his wisdom by the church and chapter 4 we possess the spirit of god and we are members of christ's body together each gifted in unique and wonderful ways to grow his church up and out uh, we're called to work worthy of Christ. We're called to walk in wisdom, walk in love, walk in light, walk in the truth. And we've been given everything that we need to be able to do that. We've all that we need, we heard a couple of weeks ago, for great friendships, for great marriages, for great families, for great work situations. And again, as we saw last week, we come back to this full armour of God which is utterly impregnable to the arrows of the enemy. And so dressed for battle, we're like Roman legionaries in turtle formation, unbeatable. And if the letter finished there, we might be excused for thinking we've got everything we need to stand and to go on and to fight and to win in and of ourselves. But it's right at this point as he finishes the letter, Paul reminds us not to be overconfident in ourselves, in our own strength, but to do what? pray and it's not just tacked on it's not an afterthought it's it's totally deliberate in fact you might have noticed he's he's dropped in little prayers all the way through for them and for the church at large for us and he finishes with this so that we won't be overconfident boasting in our own strength but we boast in God's as Bishop J.C. Ryle of London who is one of the few great archbishops in the Church of England uh, he said uh, may we always be mindful of our own weakness and that it is only in the Lord that can, we can be strong. And I need to warn myself and encourage myself, even as I warn and encourage you tonight, that spiritual overconfidence is very, very dangerous. You can know all the answers. You can be totally self-assured. You can be very gifted in ministry. But without God being your constant companion and confidant in prayer, you will be an empty shell who will not stand in the long run. And through prayer, God has given us access to the greatest 
power in the universe himself. We're in a war zone and so in addition to putting on the armour of God so we can take a stand, we've got to be strengthened with God's strength as we heard back in verse 10 and we do that through prayer. It's the great gift without which no chairs are going to turn, we're going to be cut down by the enemy and we will fall. And Paul wraps up the letter, he's got three things to say about prayer. In verse 18, it is a general principle of prayer. Uh, this, is, this is the instruction. Verses 19 to 22, he asks the Ephesians to pray for him, I think as an illustration and application of that principle. And in verse 23 to 24, he finishes with, with his, a little prayer that he prays for believers, for us, also as an example well, let's start with the general principle of prayer. It's in verse 18, and it's so fundamentally important that we're going to spend a lot of time on just that one sentence tonight. And so if you're looking at your clock in 15, 20 minutes' time going, oh, what's he going to say about the rest of this? Uh, don't worry, we're going to spend most of our time here. Verse 18, here's the principle. Pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request and stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. Have a look at it. Uh, what stands out to you in that little sentence? All, all, the word all, it's all, all, all. Four times he talks about all. All times, all prayer, or every prayer in our translation, but it's all prayer, all perseverance, all the saints. All, 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 all. What, what's he saying? Our prayer life is to be comprehensive. Comprehensive in its frequency, comprehensive in its substance, comprehensive in terms of not being daunted and giving up praying, comprehensive in terms of who we pray for. Would you describe your prayer life like that comprehensive well let's just run through them how often should we pray all the time right yeah pray all at all times now he doesn't mean by that you should never do anything else other than pray and that you're sinning if you are watching a movie or anything like that that he's not saying that you never have to do your work or even concentrate on the person that you're with or you know you have to not listen to the radio or you're not you're supposed to close your eyes when you're sitting in the car in traffic right no don't do that right uh you can pray while you're driving um but he he's not saying uh that you should have your eyes closed 24 7 and check out of this world that's not what he means by pray all the time he means pray in every aspect of life this should be uh, we should be in constant conversation with god that is, prayer shouldn't be something we do once a week in church because someone's going to lead us in it and we don't have to think about it any other time. It shouldn't be just once in a while when I find myself with nowhere else to turn and I happen to think that God might be able to help. It shouldn't be just even, I think, once a day because we've locked it in and we're just in the habit of doing that. That's a good thing to do, uh, to have a prayer time, but I think it's more than that. He's saying... Prayer should be ever-present at work, alone, when you're with people, praying before you meet them, praying with them maybe, praying afterwards, all the time. 
And he's not saying anything particularly new or astonishing here that the rest of the Bible doesn't know anything about. The Lord Jesus in Luke 21, 36 says, pray always. You can't get clearer than that. What does Jesus command you? Pray always. In the book of Acts, there was one point where the apostles realised that they would become so preoccupied with all the business of running church and all the rosters and everything that was going on and organising everything and setting up chairs and cooking food that they, they'd stop praying and they thought that, that's a real problem and so they had to kind of reorganise the whole of church life in order for them to be praying again consistently. Acts holds up for us examples like Cornelius who is described as a devout man who prayed to God always. Now you might hear this kind of command, pray all the time, uh, and think, well, how can I? I mean, you might ask it for different reasons. Some Christians say, well, how, how can I pray all the time when God seems so distant, so far away? And uh, Well, surely that's the time to pray all the more. If he feels distant, the most likely explanation is that we've not been drawing close to him because he's always around. He's never far away. We've learned throughout Ephesians that he's with us by his spirit. So whether he feels close, he is here. Some Christians will say, well, I'd pray more if, if, I, if there really was something to pray about, but everything's going okay at the moment. Uh, as if God only wants us to pray for ourselves when we're in desperate situations and we think to ask him for help. I think sometimes we approach prayer as if it's just like an intercom system by which we can buzz into God for our convenience. We're here in the head office and we're like, you know, can you fetch me some coffee? <laughs> uh, but it's not that. Prayer is a walkie-talkie that we've been given us uh, connecting us to the general's HQ, connecting us to the transportation lines, connecting us to the field artillery, connecting us to the field hospital. Right? It's not a bell to call the servant. It's the battlefield transmitter for staying in touch with the general. And Paul's calling us to make God our constant companion. And, and prayer should be for us like breathing. I take it you like breathing. Uh, have you ever noticed in God's wisdom, in the way he's made us, it's easier to breathe than not to breathe? Uh, if you hold your breath, it's hard to do, isn't it? It's challenging. That ought to be the case when it comes to prayer. You shouldn't have to work hard to pray. It should be the most natural expression of your spiritual lungs to let God into every situation, every thought, every conversation, everything in your life. And if you're not in regular prayer, it means you're holding your spiritual breath. And just like when you hold your real breath too long, don't be surprised if you're not praying that you start to black out and collapse as a Christian. Paul says pray at all times. But it's not just all times, it's all circumstances as well with all prayers and requests. We're, we're to be comprehensive, I think he's saying, in what we pray about. That, that's what he means by that phrase. Not just praying about the problems in life, but that God might make them disappear. I mean, praying in those times for sure, but not only praying that they just might go away, that God might do something, but pray that you might grow through them. 
Pray for the other people involved in those situations. And, and not just praying when there's problems. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 to 19, we're told what God's will is for our lives. Uh, lots of Christians, I keep getting asked this, uh, what's God's will for me? I'm trying to decide what to, what's God's will for me. Well, do you want to know what God's will for you? He's told you. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 16. Rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I, I take it that's at least filling out some of the every sort of prayer. We're to rejoice and thank God as well as ask for what we need. And we're to do those things constantly. Rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in everything. But you look at that list and think, rejoice always? Rejoice? How do you rejoice when you're in the middle of a very frustrating situation at work or at school or you're dealing with illness or you put your stupid back out wiping the floor and you can't walk properly for a couple of weeks? <laughs> uh, or, or there's issues at home or with your friends? How do you rejoice? Well, you can. Uh, Paul tells us in Romans 5 to rejoice in our sufferings, but thinking about what they produce in us, perseverance, character and hope. But there's more than that too. Because when you call to your mind your relationship with God, you remember and able to be enjoy that, that he's given you, like we've read, every spiritual blessing. That he's with you, that he loves you, that he's put a church around you to equip you and encourage you, that he's given you his son to save you. He, he's thoroughly equipped you for every situation that you're in so that you can know um, what, that God's got something for you to grow in and something that you can contribute to someone else's life and a great gospel that holds you firm and which we can hold out to others even in greatest darkness. And so rejoice always. Praying comprehensively might also mean praying for other people, um, not just yourself, praying for the other people involved in different situations that you find yourself in, uh, praying with them, praying for them, praying that your interactions would be valuable for both you and for them, fruitful and godly. And depending on who they might be and your relationship with them, that might take all sorts of forms, mightn't it? Maybe you'll need to pray for incredible patience in dealing with them. Maybe you might need to pray that God would lead you not into temptation with them. Maybe you need to pray that God would give you wisdom to know what to say to them because there's just all this stuff and I don't know where to start and, and how to deal with them and care for them. Pray at all times, pray with all sorts of prayers, pray with all perseverance. That is, don't just pray for something once and stop because, oh, God didn't do it, so he's not there. Because it didn't happen like I wanted. So prayer doesn't work. Lots of people give up very easily in prayer. Uh, be like the widow in Jesus' parable who kept going back. And she was going to an unjust judge who didn't want to give her what she wanted, but she irritated him so much that he did it anyway. And he says, God's not like an irritated, unjust judge. He cares for you. He's your heavenly father. He like, keep, keep praying. Keep praying. Don't give up. And in fact, we were told that Jesus used that story to teach us to pray and to not give up praying. 
And lastly, he says, pray for all the saints. That is, pray for all believers. We've seen that saints isn't special Christians. It's not praying to the saints in heaven. It's not, you know, that kind of thing. It's praying for God's people, all, all that you can think of. Uh, and I think that includes praying generally for God's church in the world. That's a good thing to do, for God to sustain his people wherever they may be. But I take it from Paul's own example it's praying for everyone you're aware of who's a believer. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a lot of people, isn't it? And not just the ones you know, but the ones you're aware of. I mean, if you started with the ones you know, that'd be a good start. But, uh, and I think if uh, you take Paul's own example, you can see it's all sorts of people. So he will write to the Philippian church and says, whenever I think of you, I, I give thanks to God for you. I just stop and pray and I pray for various things and he tells them what he's praying for them. In Colossians, he's never met the Colossians uh, and he says, my mate Epaphras has just turned up and told me you've become Christians through him because church has started over there. And so he writes his letter and he says, I'm praying for you. And he tells them what he's praying for them. He's praying for them to grow in spiritual wisdom and understanding as baby Christians. He's praying that they might walk worthy of God, that they might uh, persevere in their faith, that they might be able to give thanks in all circumstances to God. He's praying for their prayer life at that point. Uh, he, he writes to Timothy, and you know what he says to Timothy? I'm thanking God for your grandma and for your mum because of the way they shared their faith with you and you've come to Christ and so in light of what he's saying here pray for all the saints I want to encourage us all to broaden our prayer horizons from wherever it is now make it one step bigger <laughs> at least okay think broader most Christians tend to have very limited scope of who they pray for who they pray for well you tell me themselves maybe their family their kids you know, maybe one or two others that, you know, they would love to become Christians. Um, that, that's good. But it's, it's not much beyond that, is it? Paul's praying us, calling us to pray bigger. And I think if you're going to be consistent in praying for lots of other believers, then you're probably going to need to have some sort of system to help you do that to remember all these people that you're praying for? I'll give you a few examples. Uh, John Mason from our eight o'clock congregation, he'd be embarrassed for me to tell you this, uh, but I've told it twice today, and so he was there for one of them. Uh, uh, he, he, uh, he prays through the church phone directory that we have, you know, with our photos in it. Uh, and he does it from five o'clock to six o'clock every Monday afternoon, and he'll just, however long it takes he'll pray well sorry he'll go for that hour and then mark where he's up to and then he'll come he'll get to you eventually uh, uh, so it's a great thing uh, so do make sure your name and photo are in the next one when we print it uh, because John's going to be praying for you and maybe other people are going to be praying for you after tonight uh, and he comes to the different events that we have and he's looking around he's saying, like I've been praying for that person I'm going to go and ask him if there's anything particular I can pray and he'll He'll jot it down. Uh, Don Carson, who's a, a great Canadian theologian in uh, North America, he, he, uh, he uses uh, a recipe box from his mum, I think, uh, and one of those old things. It's like a, a CD case 
if you've seen one of them, uh, and, and uh, index cards. And he writes an index card for every student that he's ever taught over 40, 50 years in seminary at um, Trinity, Divinity, uh, Trinity Divinity College. He, like, it's an extraordinary number of people. And he would just pray for five or six and then cycle them to the back. And then when they, they let him know what's happened in their life, he'll make notes on the card. Or sometimes he's prompted to kind of ring them up and see how they're going. Uh, going back decades. And, and th th there are prayer diaries from all the mission partner agencies you can think of. The R1 CMS, the Church Missionary Society, Amy Stevens and the Blouse in, in uh, Argentina. Uh, they're in there, but all the other missionaries are in there too that CMS sends out. BCA has a prayer diary. More College has one. Um, I use PrayerMate on my phone uh, as a handy way of organising prayer so I can remember to pray for more and more people. So I can pray for you lot uh, and pray for people I studied with. And then also PrayerMate imports whatever prayer diaries you want to import into it and it'll just give you, you know, whatever, what's the date today? The 8th. You know, on the 8th day, you're going to pray for uh, this family in Indonesia who are doing missionary service there or a family in France who are doing student work. The BCA one will pop up and we're praying for the Collins in Queensland. If somehow they've managed to get their photo on our missionary board. I don't know how they did that from Queensland, but they got there. There you go, maybe you should start praying for the Collins. <laughs> um, and, and often the prayer points in those prayer diaries that just pops up in my phone is not just for them, but for the people that they're ministering to. And so you're praying for all kinds of Christians and people that they're talking to and praying for to become Christians in all these different places in the world. Very useful tools. I encourage you to pick something. Pray. Pray at all times, all prayers with all perseverance for all the saints. But notice there's one other qualification to what verse 18 says about prayer. It's a bit of a weird one. We are to pray at all times in the spirit. What the heck does that mean? <laughs> well, it doesn't mean going into a trance and zoning out and just what letting whatever garbled nonsense come out of your mouth as if somehow that is a spiritual activity. That is not what praying in the Spirit is. What he means is, like, like, like we've seen right through the letter, in every sphere of life, what is key to living for God is your mind. Right? And prayer is no exception. We're to be deliberate and we're not jettisoning our minds when we come to pray. And so what he means by praying in the Spirit is that we're to pray consistent with the Holy Spirit who lives in us. What is the Holy Spirit in us guiding us and leading us to? Well, the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. And so praying consistently with what God's telling you and what the Spirit is moulding you to do. It's another way of saying pray according to uh, the will of God uh, or pray according to uh, consistent with the name of Jesus. The Spirit is moulding and shaping us to think and to act and to will according to God's plan and His ways. So when it comes to praying, don't be praying against what God tells you. You know, I know what you say, God, but I don't want that, so I'm praying for the opposite. 
You know, don't pray the opposite of what God's calling for. And so, here's some real examples. A couple of them are funny, one's not. I think none of them are really funny in the end, but anyway. Don't be praying for a better husband or wife than the one you've already got. I know Christians who have. Pray for the current one to be the man or woman after God's own heart and pray that that he might help you to love them. Don't be praying in spite for God to cause your competitor's business to fail because you want their customers. Don't do that, right? There are Christians who told me they're doing that. That's dumb. That's not what God wants. Pray that God will bless them and you and that he'll supply all your needs. Don't pray as one ministry nearby does. Uh, It prays curses on mainstream Protestant churches and their leaders. Uh, They are praying a curse on one particular minister in our area who came down with a very serious medical condition and they had a party to celebrate the power of their prayers and that God had vindicated them. Like, that is awful, right? Even if you disagree with a church or a ministry, right, pray for them that God would lead them to wisdom and the truth, right, correction. (laughs) We're not to pray for things that dishonour Christ. We're to pray for things which glorify our King and Saviour. And so praying in the Spirit is a matter of learning what God wants you to be praying for and how he wants you to be praying for it. It means taking notes of the kind of things that God himself brings up for you to pray for. The Bible is actually filled with things that you're commanded to pray for. But it's very we don't jot them down for our prayer notes and our prayer mate, do we? I've got to put into my prayer mate on the back of this sermon... 1 Timothy chapter 2, because it tells you one specific thing you must pray for as a Christian. Pray for all kings and all those in authority that we might live quiet and peaceful lives in all quietness and humility, which pleases God our Saviour, because there's one mediator between God and man. I mean, who of us thinks to pray for our government just as a normal part of our prayer lives? I mean, there's something that would be praying in the Spirit. Uh, praying along the lines of the Lord's Prayer, you know, the ideas in it, pray for it thoughtfully, not just kind of repeating it because it's words you've learned like a mantra, but, you know, pray that God's name would be on it. That's what the first bit means, hallowed be your name. It's not saying hello to God, it's saying, you know, may your name be blessed, honoured. Pray that God's will would be done on earth as in heaven. And so when you see situations where God's will is not being done, pray for it to stop or change praying that he would give you what you need to survive i mean that's what he says pray for your daily give us today our daily bread it's not praying for an exorbitant 10 course meal like the feast he's just supply what we need god Um, and especially that he would forgive you and lead you not into temptation but deliver you from evil that's what god cares about that's what he wants you to be praying for well that's the general principle Praying all times, all prayers, with all perseverance for all the saints in the spirit. And so we aren't just left with any, without any clear idea of the kind of things to pray. Paul gives to them his own prayer requests. He'd love for the Ephesians to be praying these things for him in the time that he wrote to them. 
And I'd personally love it if this was, if you were going to pray for me, which I don't know if you are or not, but I'd love you to. I'm one of the saints, I guess. So uh, whenever you get to me, if you could pray this, that'd be great. And I'm sure the other ministers, Adam and Dave, would love you to be praying similar things too. Verse 19. Pray also for me that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. For this I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I might be bold enough to speak about it as I should. Tychicus, our dearly loved brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you all the news about me so that you may be informed. I'm sending him to you for this very reason, to let you know how we are and to encourage your hearts. And so I take it he's sending Tychicus with all the details so that when they do pray for Paul, that they can be more specific around the particular circumstances that he's in. But look at the guts of what he's asking them to pray for him. He says it twice. It's the only thing he asks them to pray for. Pray for me too. Be bold. Pray for me to be bold. When do you ask someone to pray for you to be bold? Why would you ask that to someone to pray for that for you? Yeah? Maybe, yeah, it's different situations like when you're talking to people, but, but why would you ask someone to pray that you be bold? Because you don't want to, because you're scared, because you're... Oh, I don't know what to say, or I, you know, <laughs> you know I, I'm nervous about it for some reason. I'm not feeling particularly bold. Uh, that when you're scared, isn't that amazing? I find it incredibly encouraging. We think of Paul as this bold, dynamic, unflappable, fierce proclaimer of the truth who just got in people's faces and didn't care what they thought and was just going to go for it. But in reality, he was shaking in his boots often. Right? He was just as nervous about conversations as you or I. He feared his own weakness if people didn't pray for him. He felt weak and afraid at times. And why wouldn't he? I mean, where is he when he's asking him to pray for him to be bold? He says it in the middle between the two, pray for me to be bold, pray for me to be bold, because I'm in jail. <laughs> I'm in chains for preaching this. Right? It got me in a big trouble. But keep praying for me to be bold. Why would he ask them to pray for that? Well, at least a couple of reasons. Uh, one, because he knows that's what God wants him to do. He wants them to pray in the Spirit, right? God has sent him with this message. He is God's ambassador to go. And so, all right, that's what God wants from me. Pray for me to do it. But he also, because he knows that the gospel is what the guards in the palace jail need to hear him. Because that's what everyone needs to hear. And so pray for me. You can pray for me and for Adam, but pray for each other. Pray for Joe that God might help me put my big boy pants on <laughs> and suit up in God's armour and keep taking a stand every day. He's told them to be strengthened by God's strength and he's asking them to pray for him to do the same. Well, that brings us to the final little paragraph, what's sometimes called a benediction. I have no idea why these things are called benedictions. 
Um, it's got nothing to do with monks who Benedicts. You know, it's got nothing to do with alcohol, which I don't know why monks always make the strongest alcohols. Anyway, um, I'm not sure why people call it that, but, it, but really it's just this little prayer, a little prayer from, about, from Paul's praying to God for them. And what a great prayer. And if you don't know what to pray for other believers, even just praying this for them would be great. Praying this would be praying in the Spirit because it's totally consistent with what the Spirit is bringing about. Verse 23, Peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with you all who have undying love for our Lord Jesus Christ. What a great thing to be praying for God's church. What a great thing to be praying for each other. What a great thing to be praying for A.B. Stevens and the Blouses and for Lewis Jones and for Matt Bales. What a great thing to be praying for the believers they're ministering to and amongst. What a great thing to be praying for our scripture teachers, Kim and McDonagic and, uh, and Trudy as they teach. What, what a great thing to be praying for the students that they're teaching. What a great thing to be praying for your Bible study group or your youth group leaders or for the persecuted Christians in North Africa. It's a prayer for three things, for God's peace to reign in their lives, that, that, that is, they be at peace with God, first and foremost, and at peace with each other, and, and, and even at peace with the world, which, which may well hate us. It's a prayer that they might... Uh, love with faith that is love other people selflessly in a way that trusts that God is at work and that we might be able to love other people in the way that we first been loved by the Lord Jesus Christ love God love his church love our families love our neighbors and even love our enemies it's only God who can bring that kind of peace and love about and finally, it's a prayer for God's grace to be with and remain on all of Jesus' people that we keep coming back to this wonderful truth which saves us, which sustains us, which keeps calling us back to prayer and dependence on God for everything, that everything we have is all of God's grace. Our salvation is all of his grace our adoption into God's family, all those wonderful blessings, they all come from his grace, his kindness. Everything we have is from his generous hand. So don't be overconfident in yourself. Be strengthened with God's strength. Put on your spiritual armour of the gospel of grace and let's get praying. You've got no excuse not to come to our prayer night tomorrow night now. <laughs> Let's pray. Our Father, we're so grateful for the richness of this wonderful letter we've studied over the last two or three months. And for this last part on prayer, may it not fall on deaf ears, but find its way into our lives. Help us never to be overconfident that we can make it without you, but instead give us confidence in you as we look to you and call out to you. Thank you for the privilege of giving us access to you as our Father and to all your mighty strength through prayer. And so we ask you to make us faithful in prayer, praying all the time, 
all kinds of prayer, all perseverance for all the saints in the spirit. Help us to pray for each other's boldness that you might overcome our natural timidity and instead speak the words that we know the world needs to hear of your great love and power in the gospel. Forgive us for our failure to pray and take away any reason or excuse we might have not to pray. And lastly, our Heavenly Father, teach us to pray after your own heart for peace, for love that comes from faith and for your grace to rule in everything. Indeed, we pray as our Lord Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those that sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen.